I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Genevieve Adam is a playwright and performer based in Toronto. She is the writer of the plays Deceitful Above All Things, New World, Dark Heart, and more. As a performer, she's been seen in Thought for Foods, Measure for Measure, Seven Siblings Recall, and much more. In this conversation, we bond over our shared theater school experiences, studying and working in the UK, and then returning to Canada, as well as how she started writing in the first place. Here's our conversation. Genevieve, you are a fellow graduate of George Brown Theater School. Oh, I didn't know we were fellows. Phil! I know! That's exciting. I didn't know that about you. I went to George Brown in ancient times, when the when it was in the uh, warehouse oh. and River Street. Yes, yes. Way, way back in ancient no, but, times. But see, I think we, we could be of a vintage, though, Phil, because I, I was there in those times, too. We, we, were, we used to split between... The Casa Loma basement, mm-hmm. uh, which was also inhabited by plumbers, and then the the warehouse at, at King and River. That must have been. Oh, that's when they were performing at King and River, and classes were at at Casa Loma. So you were there, correct? Just so you probably were there, like in that you're that transition period because they were there in the basement at Casa Loma for a year, and then at a school in Kensington. Oh then- yes. Yeah, I only heard about the school in Kensington. I never actually got to experience uh, that other brand of exciting. That was very cold, I understand. Uh, the Castle Loma basement with the plumbers was very harassy. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and then the, the warehouse at King and River was very uh, urban, I guess, for lack of a better word. It was urban, but I did hear a story about there was like some kind of hidden room oh, that had been discovered and decorated is, and yeah this is the scuttlebutt that that <laughs> lives on forever yeah i yeah i don't know man we we spent a lot of time there i never found this the secret cabal but <laughs> i was uh i was a young person there i think it was i want to say like 99 to 2002 or something mm. i think sounds about right or 98 i don't know who could too long ago now who knows so. yeah it does feel it does feel a long time ago it certainly does um now, you're, were you always, uh, sub, did you always feel like acting was your thing or was writing your thing or how did, what was your theater origin story? Oh, um, I think I just, my parents just needed a hobby for me, really. Like I just started doing community musicals about the time my brother was born. Uh, I think they were like, here, do this. Um, yeah, so I just, just kind of did community sing-along musicals all throughout my young life and yeah I don't know I just felt that that acting acting was the thing writing was not a thing at all uh and in fact having been to George Brown you will know that they gave us many lectures Mm. to the to the effect of you will never work you will have to make your own work Mm. so 
here is some devising courses and blah, 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 to which I paid zero attention. I was like, that's for other people. I will clearly be going on to be hired by others my, my entire career, right? So I never thought about it seriously at that time. You know what is really interesting about that is I can see the shift in, in faculty uh, around mm -hmm. that time because when I was at school in the really ancient times, um, <laughs> uh, we were told... Uh, that if we ever were going to do any work, we had to be, uh, we had to be actors and singers, and we didn't need to right. dance, but we needed to be able to move, move well. Yeah, we didn't necessarily need to do that. And <laughs> nobody ever talked to us about production or self-production. At one point, I remember, you know, this is back in the days when uh, they needed to cut people yes. from the program. Yes. And I was told at one point, well, you know, maybe if you know, if you if you really need to perform, you could do things at the Fringe Festival. That was like the. <laughs> I was near the, you know, because I spent a lot of years like being like, well, we're thinking about cutting you, and they, and that's one of the things yeah. they said. And, but it, that's a, a huge change from, um, you're never going to need to self-produce because we're training you how to get work. To, mm. self-producing is a necessary part of your theater career mm -hmm. um and that's 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 kind of huge uh, as far as like that shift goes um mm -hmm. but as you were saying you uh you you were like other people are gonna have to do yeah that. if only i had caught the waves i could be further ahead and they brought in really exciting people who were making their own work and self-producing like now i just think man i should have i should have milked those connections but it's when i was just like this is an interesting two weeks until we get on to the real stuff, you know, I I didn't pay it any heed in my uh, in my useful exuberance, uh, which was a mistake because uh, it it is the way forward. Uh, but it is funny how things have, have changed, right? And it's yeah, it's funny too the destiny that your your theater training can predict for you, uh, <laughs> which you should not listen to because they don't know. Well, that. That's absolutely the thing because you know you'll yeah. find like there is there there every every class has the golden children. Yes, uh huh. You know, and they're the people who get you know they get leads, they get this, and uh -huh. you know, um, but there's that's no indication that 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 you know of what's going to happen outside of school. No, it's, it's not indication. Yes, yeah, no indication of anything. No, yeah. and and I mean it's interesting the people who are still working. I don't think you know, certainly weren't those people. And sometimes like people got really exciting, starry jobs out of school. And we were like, oh, that's it. You know, they're off now. They're launched. And then it didn't, you know, they're not acting today. That was maybe their one big thing. Or, you know, a couple people won Dora's and we were like, oh, well, they're set. But then they never worked. It. Like, it's 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 just funny. You know, it's 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 not a, a straight linear path. No. By any well stretch of the imagination. One of the things that I find interesting, and this sort of started to really like kind of make me angry after, you know, about 10 years after theater school is thinking <laughs> back of the people who got cut. Yeah. And, and you know, they would say often, well, we just don't think that you have a, either, a, you, we don't think that you have a career outside of, you know, you know right. career ahead of you or you're not a good fit for the school. But mostly it, it was sort of like a, a, a you, we don't think that you have a, a future in, in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I sort of was like, about 10 years after it's like how dare you make that assumption you mm -hmm. don't know mm, that's interesting see cutting in in my time was more like you guys are spending too much time raving every weekend you need to you need to like do some work i mean <laughs> i mean you know that was that's most of it i don't know if there was anyone who was cut who didn't kind of find it a blessing you know like there mm. there were I and it's and it is interesting because our year for whatever reason had kind of a, an okay time of it. Like certainly the folks directly ahead of us and the folks directly behind us did not have a good time at the school for reasons that have been debated here and there and widely about what the culture of the school was at that time. But for us, it was it was really like, and I'm sure someone will pop out of the woodwork to correct me, but I can't remember uh, someone being cut who wasn't ready for that or kind mm. of moving in that direction or who was just a bit like i'm just kind of biding my time while i figure out what to do yeah i don't that i recall i mean who knows i i i think at one point we were all on probation though <laughs> most of us i certainly was well it was I mean, like I think, well i gotta get your stuff together kids you know we were we were too afraid to go raving we were too afraid to we didn't i mean first off first <laughs> off I'm going to be honest with you. I was at the school pre-rave culture. Okay. Um, 
because I'm an old man. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, we were really kind of afraid of, of you know, especially once those first few people get cut, you're mm -hmm. like, the fear runs through the... It's un good. Unless it's you're good. one of the golden children, the fear just runs through the class. And it does. That's kind of a terrible environment to create in. It is. is the well, that's interesting. Like, that's what happened to me. Like, that's why I got put on probation, actually, is because, you know, uh, that Christmas of second year, right before you move into really big projects, uh, period study and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is an eight-hour theater festival <laughs> for those of you who didn't go through the George Brown program. Um yeah, I think I, I think I had just kind of tapped out in second year. I was like, I'm not going to engage emotionally with this process. And, you know, that's why I got put on probation. They were like, we need you to come back. We need you to come back and start, you know, get really daring to do stuff again, as opposed to just kind of sitting there on the sidelines, cracking boxy with sarcastic remarks, which is sort of where I had gone. And I wonder in looking back if it was if it had something to do with that fear. Uh yeah, because it's not nice. It's not a nice. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know if they do still cut people now. What with it being college affiliated, I don't even know if they can do that anymore. I mean, they always. I mean, <clears throat> they were very clear to us that they marked us that that many of the teachers were encouraged to mark us low so yep. that they could cut us. Right. Yep. Um. So because they, you know, what what's an A actor as opposed to an A minus actually? <laughs> I know that, that kind of joke is what they would what they would say but yes. they you know they had the ability to cut us because they they marked us low they would say the comments are what matter not the grid yes oh my gosh yeah right that didn't change that was the line no, no no yeah yeah so you end up with 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 with, with that as, as i understand it they haven't cut people from the program at that school right in several years right you gotta wonder i mean what's what's a bigger cruelty, right? To like our year, they admitted 33 people and we finished off with 14, uh, you know, six women and eight men. And you think that even probably is too many. So is it better to call us down then or to just release 40 actors into the, into the system every year who aren't going to work anyway? I don't know. And then I hear that other programs like at York, they cut people, but then they say, Hey, you can go work in makeup and stage yeah. you know they kind of just smear them over there into production which is probably a bigger path to working like golly if you're a stage manager now you've got your pick these days right so well, i mean I, at, I, I don't know. at york at york they do start you with like a general course and then they sort of right. try to stream you into the courses after that right um but i think what they're finding now is that people if you let them self-select Mm -hmm. Well, you should, right? You should yes. self-select. But you, I think you need to give people the the option. And I think that they've found that, that people generally tend to say, you know what? Not for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think when you start cutting people, there's other people who like dig in their heels and like, yeah. I'm not fucking getting out of here unless you guys make me. Yeah, I you mean, know? there is some of that or, you know, like, yeah, there, there were the surprise cuts, you know, the ones you didn't necessarily see coming and then people would get all what's the word, Fra factional about it, right? Like if yeah. that was your friend or whatever, especially as, as it went on. Yeah, it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough system to navigate. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I would recommend to young people to go into theater school these days. Um, you know, I'm grateful I did it. I also had the opportunity to, to do it again when I went to England to do my master's at a, at a different school at East 15. Um, and that was a whole other kettle of fish, right? Because that was yeah. a one-year master's program with people at all different stages of their careers. And uh, yeah, that's where I was really like, oh, this is what people say about theater school. Because <laughs> it was not nice. Like, it was not pleasant. There was no yeah. camaraderie, right? I was like, oh, this is this is what people go through. <laughs> you know, I was lucky at George Brown. But right. yeah. Because what's interesting is I remember, you know, in the, in the course of the time that, 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 that I was there, and I don't know if they still do this now or if they did this in your day, they talked mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, the process is to, we'll break you down and then we'll mm -hmm. build you back up. Oh, yeah. And they spend a whole lot of time breaking us down and almost and, and really no time with the building us back up. Yeah. 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 Uh, I remember uh the zone of silence. I don't know if that existed in your Oh yeah. Day. Oh yeah. Man, that was so again, for the uninitiated, I don't know how you guys did it, Phil, but in our day it was like you were in a a, a classroom and uh you just you were given certain tasks like go into a room and unpack your bag to be done in total silence for like months on end 
And it didn't matter what you did. It was always wrong. Yes. yes. And you would spend like hours sitting there watching your classmates do stuff like so dull. Of course, right? Like most of it. And just thinking, oh, man, I'm going to go crazy here. You know, and clown was another one. They were just like, okay, ultimate humiliation. Right? Because I mean, that's the basis of clout. So it's, yeah, it's quite a process. Quite yeah. Wild. I remember thinking later, years later, uh, after you know being out of school for a while, being like, I think I'm ready now to go back and do the zone of silence. <laughs> because as a punk ass 18 year old, <laughs> um, I don't think I was ready for what that. A hundred percent not. A hundred percent not. No, it is so true. Like, you know, I was, yeah, I was like 18 when I went to George Brown. When I went to my master's program, I was like 26. And same thing, we had a movement class where we had to like lie on the cold floor on a pole with our legs in the air. And it was exactly what we had done at George Brown. When, at George Brown, every morning I was like, oh, fuck this, man. And this time I was like, oh, this is the best. Oh, I'm right. so grateful to be lying on this pole. You kids yeah. don't know what you're missing. So there is, I think there is, there is an element to that, right? You know, you have, Pfizer. Yeah, there's certainly a, a, a point of, because I think that the insecurity is so high when you go in when oh, you're young. 100%, yeah. That yeah. some of the offerings, you're just not able to accept. I know no. that I wasn't. No, 100%. And it wasn't until later that I was like, you know what? I think now I could really throw myself into that. But also, mm. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's it's the right stage of life and it's the wrong stage of life. Certainly, the the folks who are a bit older than us, eighteen year olds, I think probably did better, but sure. also probably spent more time being like, kids. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. Uh, uh, Peter Wilde was our head of acting. Oh yes, I had I had Peter for period study. Yeah. He just he and just passed. Bless. I know. Wow. Um, he used to. We would be doing something, and he would he, when he was giving notes, he just stops sometimes. He'd just say, "I wish you were thirty. You should." You should all come back to me when you're 30, he would say. We would all be like, no, I'll be practically dead by now. My life will be over, Peter. <laughs> he used to say to me, uh, he used to be like, you are not a biddable young woman, which is good, but you must learn to be or else you will not get on. And I'm like, fuck that, Peter. I don't want to get on. Whatever. And, you know, <laughs> and years later when I did start writing and when I had my first play in some works, I mean, bless him, he showed up. But he was like, oh, hold on. Now you are about to stop. And I was like, oh, I'm quick. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Like, he was always yeah. quite supportive of that. No, absolutely. I remember yeah. I did I did a production a number of years ago uh, with a theater company called Keystone Theater. He came mm -hmm. to our, our show, uh, The Bell of Winnipeg. It was like the opening night. And I remember him saying, in a real city, this show would never close. You know, he was like always so like, you know. <laughs> so but, quotable, right? Like, put the yes. off a t-shirt. But he was always, always, he was always honest. Yeah, you know. Uh, but let once he was no longer your teacher, it was a little. It felt a little less harsh. Less harsh. Yeah, absolutely. He was again. He was super, super harsh with people. Like again, I don't think I got the worst of it. But some of my classmates, I mean, he was very. As as all the teachers were, like they could get really personal with people in ways yeah. that, you know, people still remember to this day. Like Yes. Yeah. You know, and you want people to be honest with you, but I think I do think we really just need kindness because I think the mentality was a bit like sports, right? You gotta be hard and then the, the, the toughest people will rise to the top and that's what you need. But yeah. you're you're discounting those who that might not be their style, that might not be their way. Yeah. What they have to offer is no less beautiful, right? So, and we're kind of coming to that now, right? Rehearsal yeah. halls don't have to be like this kind of frightening, kind of the loudest voice wins. I mean, that's for TV writer rooms. <laughs> Leave that over there, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We're sort of hopefully switching a bit to be a little more inclusive, which is necessary, right? Yeah. Can't just... I, I always felt like, um, you know, yes, there was a lot of the harshness and it, uh, sometimes I felt like there were a lot of teachers who were like, well, this is how I was trained. And so this mm -hmm. is how you're going to be trained. Right. But I also know a lot of people who finished theater school and said, God, I need a year off now. Yeah, and then yeah. never went back to it. Yeah, for sure. Like of your class, like are are people still working? That you've there are a few. There are a few, right. There are, there are a few. I can count on one hand the number yep. who are still in the industry from my class. Yeah. Mine, it's, uh, it's mostly the women beating the odds there, ladies. But uh, yeah, yeah, most most folks kind of you know did a roll or two and then drifted away from it. It's, it's yeah. tough out there. It's it tough. is tough out there. I do also think that like 
because of really how brutal the theater school can be, mm-hmm. when you come out on the other end, you never had any kind of like, okay, here's your little cushion before you head out there. Now, now go fly my little bird. It was just like, well, you're done. Get out there. And then you yeah. find that, was, that it's also hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's just, it's, it's very sort of anticlimactic and brutal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That first summer is a strange place. Uh, so some people were lucky, like, you know, I got a silly commercial right away and I was just like, oh, great. So this is how things are going to go. I'll just get some jobs now. And yeah. then, you know, <laughs> that ran out and I'm just like, yeah. oh, no, it's the dark, the dark tea time of the soul. And, uh, you know, of course, for me, because the school had said that my destiny was going to be these great things and I it wasn't achieving that. So I was like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Because, mm. you know, they said that this path was laid out for me. Right. I must I must have messed it up. And again, years later, you're like, oh, they didn't know. They were just throwing people up on the gaming table and just wishing them luck. They're taking a gamble. It's like, we think that this person is good at this stage in their life. And Mm -hmm. it is a gamble. It's a gamble. Mm -hmm. They Um, can't see into the future, right? Who can? (laughs) Who can? That's why I kind of feel like it's best. I really feel like it's best to let students go through, let themselves select. You know, if people are not showing up for class, you're going to cut them, right? Yeah. In that case, if people are are consistently late and they don't pull up their, you know, pull, you know, they don't tie up their shoes and get get things going or they don't, they're not showing up for class, you cut them, but not for ability. Mm-hmm. Let everybody, or not for perceived ability, give everybody a, 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 the, the chance to prove themselves and they probably will without, mm. without the fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now you you mentioned uh, part of your you know as you were you know your parents were they got had to give me something to do with it. <laughs> um, was it something that you asked for? Had you been like a uh, I know my gateway to theater was actually uh, uh, Broadway soundtrack albums, original oh, cast albums. Yes, you know? classic, classic. Yes, figuring out that oh like as a child oh these songs tell a story, um, that sort of thing, and that was like my gateway into theater. Was yours just your parents being like? Oh, we can do soccer, we can do theater, we can do any sorts of things. Let's get well, something. Or... I think I think my dad harbored slight uh, aspirations of, of theater himself, which he never really went into. I do remember I went to see uh, A Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when I was young, and I was like, yeah, that. So I definitely was asking, um, but I think it kind of dovetailed quite nicely into the family's kind of desires and needs at that point, too. And uh, yeah, but it was... It, the disadvantage in doing it your whole life in like a small community where they keep putting you in stuff is that when I got to theater school, I was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, which was, which was ridiculous. I'm like, well, yeah, no. Okay. I've been in musicals since I was six. And, it was and that's when you find out that how little you actually <laughs> Oh, man. What I truly didn't know was how to just not be kind of an insecure person. And or to just not be like, hey guys, I'm feeling kind of rough about this, right? Rather than just be like, I'm gr- I'm fine, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm like, just you need to get out of your own way a bit, which only really for me came with age. I couldn't. It was hard to do it at that age. Yeah. Again, that's that's kind of like because we're all insecure when we're like, if we go to theater school when we're like 18, right out of high school. What do we know? We know nothing, but we think we know everything, and we're Correct. also insecure, <laughs> um, which is a terrible way to try to learn. Yeah. And also, I don't know about you, but first year was all about being like, these people are hot. All these people that I'm hanging out with every day in our like sweatpants are hot. Everybody's hot. You're just like, oh, everyone's gorgeous and interesting and different and maddening. It was just, how does any good work? I mean, I get that. I did have that. But we, I also, I also had a lot of, this person's good. Like, yeah. And also I was struggling with like. You're struggling with like, you know, the zone of silence for what feels like a year and trying to be like, when are we going to learn? When are we acting? And all yeah, I know stuff, it right? did go on forever, didn't it? <laughs> well, it went on forever as just like, because I remember it was like the doctor's office was the first one. No, doctor's office. In the doctor's office. Well, we like, well, what am I supposed to do? You in the doctor's office. Like, just sit in the doctor's office. In the doctor's office. And then there were like scenarios that were added, and it, but it was still silent. Yeah. And then one person had the the vocal breakthrough in a scene. Yes. And I remember sitting like what, like as everybody 
watching this scene as this person like built up to didn't even realize like they were fighting the urge to speak mm-hmm. so hard because i as think everybody... that was that killed it right the minute someone spoke that was it it was over right but then also it was like that's what it was supposed to teach us the value of of words the value <laughs> of speaking right? right and so as this person is fighting talking everybody just sort of leaning more and more forward and forward and forward until they did spoke and speaking yes that ended the scene but it was also like the see this is what it's about is le- is earning the right to speak that sort of thing and then we spent the rest of the time trying to manufacture that yeah i know and then you're trying to or if you're that if you're that person who spoke and it was organic and beautiful then you'll always mm-hmm. be trying to recapture it yep. you must never but you do because you're yes. like oh i was so good what i did yeah oh man oh man yeah. Again, again, I wish that I wish, you know, I wish I'd had the courage to to say, okay, you know what? I will come back when I'm 30. I'll come back or even even at 25, even at 25, like I'll come back at 25. But, you know, I was like, I will be almost dead by the time I'm correct. We do not have time. We don't have time to get out there. That's right. We've got to get out there and be amazing. Yeah. No, I know it would have just felt like impossible. Right. Whereas now I'm like, oh, we had so much time. So much time. Um, Time. Now, writing has become a big part of, of, of what you do. You've written mm-hmm. several plays, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, some of which have won some very prestigious awards. So, at what point did you start writing, and 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 what was your your impetus to writing? Well, uh, I lived away in England for a long time. Uh, I went to did my masters there uh, in film, TV, and radio, just because I wanted a bit more media than we got at George Brown. Um, and it was, life was good. I was over there. I was working a lot. Uh, everything was great. And so it was so great that we decided to totally ruin everything by moving back to Canada, at which point all my work stopped. I mean, it didn't quite go like that. You know, my partner was really homesick. There was some family stuff. We had a kid. There were a lot of good reasons propelling us back. But I, I said to my partner, I'm like, oh, if we go back, not gonna they're not gonna be impressed by what i've done over here they're really not it doesn't work like that and my partner was like no but you know you've done good stuff you've worked with the bbc you've got like blah blah i'm like it's not gonna matter it's not gonna be toronto right and he's like no it'll be fine so you know of course (laughs) nobody cared it was it was actually really funny like i I came back and it was all the same people that i knew running the theaters and i kind of did the audition circuit everybody was like that's really interesting what you've been up to for seven years what have you what have you been doing here and i was like well nothing because I've, I've been over there doing stuff and they're like huh okay well come back when you've done some things i mean that was kind of the message right like yeah. in a way we're not really sure about you you've kind of missed out like your peers who have been here have, have progressed and have been in some things some summer stock and and you we just don't know like it was it was this real sense of like do some stuff here and then maybe we'll think about working with you and i was it's like fascinating yeah that's <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating because I know I know people have done the trajectory where they've done a few things here. Mm. You know, they maybe did a season in Stratford, a season in Shaw. Mm-hmm. And then they went to New York and they had a they had a role in a show in New York and then they came back from that and everybody was like, No, you are everything. Well, I know, I know. And that's kind of what some people said. They're like, No, you're gonna have England on your resume now, it's gonna be great. But I don't know if I didn't do the big enough things here first. Mm. Because, you know, out of theater school, I got some things. I was like, yay. And then there was a real big drive spell. And I was like, well, what shall I do now? And that's where the England plan came about. And I think it just didn't work that way for me. I don't know. Maybe they were just like, you're just not good. They should have just told me that rather than being like, go do some work. You don't know. Like, I I basically fell out of the, you know, I I didn't know anybody anymore. Mm. And it's interesting because this this had this definitely was a thing. Uh, I was like, well, okay, so you know, I was kind of uh, bummed about that and had to get a really boring Joe job working in insurance, and you know, and then uh, you know, a bunch of people died in my life, and it was just bad times. It was not a happy scenario, and I was just like, who would move to this country? Man, <laughs> I think it was the big year of the ice storm too. I think I think it was that big ice storm. 2013 or 2012 and yeah because there was a moment of like being in our shitty rental apartment with like our baby who we had moved from friends and comfort and a big support system and like literally like shivering in a bed with no power and just being like fuck this man so i mean a lot of it was really born out of like despair and grief and just being like well i gotta do something to channel these feelings and so I wrote a play as as one 
does as no one ever does. But also I was thinking a lot about this idea, like, what is this country? Like, why would people come to this country? And I'd been thinking about, you know, the first settlers who came over and, you know, why they did that. And I'd also kind of bounced around this idea of talking about the Fidiwak, like the young French women who were sent over to marry whatever hairy, <laughs> smelly, uh, white fur trappers were out here and just thinking about like who those women were now it's interesting like in french and in in quebec they've explored that really well they're really into that side of their history they've they've, they've made lots of movies and miniseries and stuff about it but it didn't it didn't seem to me like there were too many stories that i knew of that involved that so out of that kind of juicy cocktail of uh <laughs> sorrow and desperation and homesickness and loss and curiosity uh came my first play which i wrote in 2014 and, uh, some, you know, submitted it places, because why not? And uh, it got picked up at Subworks. And, you know, the first thing they said when they called was, they were like, we don't know you. Who are you? Who do you know that we know? And I was like, oh, man, it's, it's just a country club. But I, yeah, I was really, uh, it was it was interesting. But it was it was very lucky that they decided they liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the, the, I think, you know, you mentioned that, that in, in French Canada, they've explored a lot of their history. I think that, you know, uh, that's something that, that, that they've done because they're, they hold really fast to their Frenchness. You know, yes. And, and, and that history. Uh-huh. And whereas in English Canada, we don't tend to dwell on our history. No. Very much, especially not theatrically. Uh, which pretty, means not any other way. It's pretty ugly too, a lot of it, right? And I mean, a lot of the earliest stuff is only written in French. So there's lots of practical reasons it doesn't happen. And, you know, once you get into start trying to explore a female side or uh, a non-colonizer yeah. voice, it, it yeah. becomes even more interesting and more thorny. Um, yeah, it just uh, it just really seemed like a good metaphor to try and i mean it was also like uh you know idle no more was was really rising uh at that point and it was a really good moment for me having been away and kind of returning to the country to be like okay what is this country and what is you know our our relationship my relationship as a settler with these issues and how do i engage with it and try to find my way you know feel like i can belong here because i certainly didn't at that point so yeah, it all, it all kind of, all of that <laughs> came out. Yeah. My first play. Yeah. And and you kept writing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, that play got, it was nice. You know, it, it got put up at Summer Works and then people came and saw it and people were interested in it and wanted to know more about it. And then uh, Storefront that was uh, picked it up and programmed it in their season. And then unfortunately, uh, they went under. <laughs> so... They, they unfortunately lost their space uh, a month or two before we were supposed to uh, put the show on, the remount of Deceitful. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a rough New Year's, Phil. <laughs> it was a rough I call to imagine. get on that New Year's. I was just yeah. like, huh. Ruined Rogue One for me completely. I was supposed to be going to see Rogue One that night. And I was just like, not only is this movie depressing. <laughs> I was like, come on, in Star Wars, there'll be a happy ending. Oh, God, damn it, Rogue One. Um, but, you know, we found a way we, we kind of rallied and, and the factory uh, stepped up to kind of support us. And we ended up kind of moving the show into their studio space. And we made it happen, which is which is really cool and an amazing team of actors uh, who just rolled with it and, and were really amazing. Um, and then, you know, from that, another play happened that went on at the Assembly Theater. And that's the one that really kind of got a lot of accolades for whatever reason, people were just like, oh, I really like this, this weird dialogue of settlers and, you know, indigenous folks that has some jokes and some sexy bits and some knife fights. Great. Love it. You know? Um, yeah. And then we were set to do the third one uh, right before the pandemic. I kind of kiboshed that idea for a while. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've all been there. <laughs> we've yeah, all no, been there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Something that occurred to me as somebody who's who's done who's you know had some time working in 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 the UK, mm-hmm. um, and then and then come back mm-hmm. to to this country mm-hmm. um, as far as theater goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't treat our theater particularly well. We we <laughs> see it as 
we see it as as a frivolity. We see it as something yeah. we, that that is uh, unnecessary. Uh, mm. uh, and yet, um, my perception, you know, the people that I know who, who live in England and uh, and have have you know been in England for a while, um, they you know they go to the theater. They mm-hmm. see value in it. Mm-hmm. It's like something that you do. Um, has that struck you the difference between the two? Um, as uh-huh. far as like the value of theater? A hundred percent. I mean, I think not exclusively, and it is changing a lot because people are working very hard to make a change. But I, I do think a lot of theater still seems to be uh, for old white people, and, you know, or, or at least yeah. not for them, but they are the ones who go, who have yeah. the, the season's tickets. Whereas, you know, in the UK, everybody went. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons for that because at the time, and this has changed too. I mean, you know, I I think in a lot of ways I I did come back at a good time because a lot of money has been ripped out of the arts in the UK. And I mean, you know, like with their Brexit, they like things have things have taken a turn for the worse there. Um, But at the time, there was a lot of funding so people could get very cheap tickets. There were a lot of youth initiatives, a lot of outreaches to try and get people into the theaters who weren't just old and wealthy and, and white and it works and it is a lot more part of the culture that people just go and but i do think affordability is and there's so many theaters to choose from as well i mean yes you, know, you can you can always be seeing something but i did i did definitely notice that like people just went as a matter of course to all kinds of things like you would go with friends you would go on a on a date whereas here a theater is like an event after because it's 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 expensive, you know. Yes, um, it's expensive, and also um, I think sometimes uh, it it feels like an obligation. Yeah, you know, it's if it's not like one of the big Mervis shows, which are, seems to be the ones that people quote unquote want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of I should see that. I think. Yeah, know, nah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you know, if you know people in them, you want to go, or you know, if you want to support a certain group, you want to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I also definitely think there's a big difference in how uh, actors and uh, you know are treated in terms of you know you don't do a monologue in the UK. Mm. It's ridiculous. Like you, you just would not be asked. You would be asked to come in and have a meeting with the director and just chat with them. Maybe mm. you would read a scene with somebody. So that was another big uh, learning when I came back and I was like, Canadian monologue. Right. And I have to go to the reference library. You know, it was just like a different a different kind of relationship. And there's there's differences in, in the rehearsal process too. So yeah, it's fascinating. Sure. It's a fascinating thing. But yeah. and overall, I, I, I still feel that there's something very uh, stratified about the theater here. Well, I mean, it's hard though. There's, it's, it's not the same. It's hard. To, you got to make money and you got to, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is hard, and I think there's no, there's no answer. I, part part of me thinks that there is there is an answer somewhere in our history about why we don't value theater. I think it might go right back to mm. the start of, of 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 theater in Canada somehow, or like something about our makeup because Americans yeah. tend to go to the theater more than we do. And they have. I they think have you're right. Probably. I. I just think it's the typical Canadian thing about you know feeling like we're somehow not worthy. Right. Oh, like there is that weird like oh we're the second cousin once removed at the yeah. table. I don't know. Or you know it could just be. Well, I don't know. America's a big country too. I mean, you know, we're so spread out. Like our theaters and our yes. business for theater. That's you can only you can be a big deal in Toronto and know those people, but then you can go to Winnipeg and that doesn't matter. Right. You know, and same with out West, like a whole different thing is going on out in Vancouver and on the islands, you know, and, and everybody has their, their little clique that they're in and it's, yeah. it's all going great for them, but like, there's no connection in all those. Cliques. No, there so. really isn't. There really isn't. And I've often thought that one of the great ways to experience theater across Canada is if you can do it is a tour of the fringe. Festival. Oh yeah. You'll learn so much about the uniqueness of each city. Not just their festival, but the people in it and the the, the performers and what they like, you know. Mm. Like I noticed, you know, doing a fringe tour years ago uh, in Edmonton, they like the silly, silly. They like the comedy. <laughs> they like the sketch. And in other places, they're like, I want something that's a little more serious. Right. Everybody has their own thing they're looking for, and you, which is why it just because you're a hit in one city, 
does not mean you're going to be hitting another. Um, it's really interesting seeing those differences. But again, like you're saying, we're so f- spread out and far apart. Yeah. Those things rarely cross over. No, it's true. And fringe is super fascinating for me because when I left to go to the UK, fringe was very fringe, right? Like it was super rough. Mm-hmm. It was like you and your tickle trunk, you know, like I was in some fringe shows in, back in the day that you're just like, man, this is rough. People pay money for this. Yeah. Whereas I came back and it's like a slick animal out there. The fringe has evolved and it's like, you want to be in that fringe. It is well, that's because we it had now. some hits. Yeah. Some hits came out of the fringe there and went go. on to bigger things. And then everybody started chasing that, especially That's in right. Toronto. That's right. There's a less forgiving media landscape fringe. The, the audience is a little less forgiving in Toronto because yes. we've had the kink in her hair. We've had uh, Drowsy Chaperone, I think. And we've had Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience. Yeah. They're right. like, is this, this better be the next Kim's Convenience? That's what they're well, looking for. And it's yeah. like, how can you be that? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's it it is a little bit less forgiving than perhaps it once was. Mm-hmm. Even though it's it's fringe, nobody's nobody is forgiving. It's like oh, the, the quality, the quality yeah. is so much higher. Like you know, it's it's amazing what you can see for like fifteen bucks and down at the yeah. Dallas, you know, worker wherever they're doing it now. Yeah. yeah, it's it's wild. And I was in a fringe show in twenty seventeen. I was like, this is big deal. Like this is reviewers are coming, and we're at the theater center, and we have a set. Wow, <laughs> like yeah. who would have thought in my day? I'd be like, guys, the fringe has a set and it's not wobbling or falling over. They'd be like, out of here, come yeah, on, yeah. Outside, you know, yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, it's very interesting how things change. Yeah. yeah, but I think that also, you know, the as as say the Edinburgh fringe grew, mm-hmm. all the other fringes grew as well. Yeah, it's true. Um, and so you know, Edinburgh. I mean, we're we're never going to be Edinburgh. No, uh, but you know, we're you know, Toronto's tender. Third in third in Canada, yeah. Third largest, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which surprises people from Toronto actually to find out. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're we're not, not the largest. We're not the largest. <laughs> no, no, you need to go outside. You need to go travel. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that is key. That is key. And it's it's a good, you know, everybody, every actor, if they can, should go and act somewhere else because it's a good reminder that you know. Whoever is not seeing you for auditions in Toronto or whatever door you can't bust down, it's good to go somewhere else and be like, oh, right. It is just one place. You know, there are many places where this can happen because you can get very like certainly before I went to England, I was just like, oh, you know, I was just consumed by whatever, you know, stage I was at in my relationships with the Shaw casting people or the Stratford or the whatever. And then you think you're like, oh, right. There are other ways of doing things out there, which is which is healthy to remember. Yeah. I do think that the difficulty of, you know, because, you know, self-production, as we were saying earlier, has been such an important part of any theater career in the last 20 years or so, or maybe more. Um, and yet, you can't always, like, fringe is the easiest path to that. Mm-hmm. But you can't always rely on that, that draw. You can't rely no. on that lottery. That's some people can, I can't, but some I, people seem to figure it out. I'm like, gosh, you're the luckiest folks. I don't know and how they, to do it. But they've got it figured out. Like, I do know some people who seem to always be in the fringe, and they have a good network of alliances where it's like, okay, if they draw you, then we're going to work on this thing together. Like, they've kind of, you know, laid sure. that groundwork, which is smart and healthy, and which I would do if I didn't have so much laundry. And <laughs> No, but seriously, I, I, I admire how other people work it. I mean, for me, grant-getting has been... Uh, a real path to success. But, sure. You know, that my subject matter is very grand adjacent. Everyone loves uh, to give you some money if you're going to talk about uh, settler indigenous uh, relations. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not great. But I feel too that if you, if you want to do the parts that you're not being offered, then that's a big motivator as well. Like, absolutely. You know, which, I mean, that has really worked for people. I mean, people have gone on to have incredible careers because they wrote themselves the part that they weren't getting anywhere else, you know? So that certainly is a way. And for me, that was mostly about, um, you know, just really sort of angry, uncomfortable, sexy women. (laughs) That was just, uh, yeah, that's sort of my wheelhouse. And that was not coming to me. So I'm just like, well... (laughs) <laughs> just have to do it myself. But you know, it's funny. I didn't actually, like, it would have been horrifying to me when I was writing my first play if you told me I was going to be in it. That was not my intention at all. 
But then um, I was interviewing with a director who's maybe going to be involved in, in the summer work show. And they said, I'll be involved as long as you promise that you will not by any means act in this thing because there is nothing worse than a playwright being in there saying, especially if it's her first play, because then you're really just going to look like some kind of dilettante, debutante, you know, full ego project, no nothing person. And I was like, uh-huh. I think I am going to pretend this play. Like, you know, you can't, you can't throw that down in front of me. You can't and not have me pick up the dare. But of course, the joke did end up being on me because then I did have to act in my own thing, which was right. all my own worst, like, agony. And, you know, you write that stuff from your heart. You never think you're going to have to act it. And then you do it. You're like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible that I have to do this every night, you know. But uh, hey-ho, you learn some things. I do try to write something so that, you know, if I, if I feel bad saying it, like if I feel awkward saying it, I know I have to rewrite it. So yeah. And it's good to sort of make yourself say the words. So you're like, this is not working for me. So I guess maybe I should rewrite. It was more just that like I wrote these big feelings. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go out there and cry and like get upset every night because that's what I wrote for some other actress to do. And I'm going <laughs> to have to have like a bad love affair every night now didn't think that went through it's just smart ass i mean that's what it is right that's what it is um but it is and it's very humbling right it's incredibly humbling because you're like i write this thing go act it people and then you can yeah. think you're like oh this is tough actually what yeah. I, yeah, yeah what i'm asking people to do uh, <laughs> so as usual it's very humbling yeah uh, and actors are so smart i mean they it's one of the one of the biggest joys for me about writing my own stuff is that you know actors come and take it on with their brains and their bravery and they make all the sense out of all the things that, you know, barely made sense or were a concept in my head. Like, oh, look at the actors solving it. God, they're amazing. And that is, that is really cool. Yeah. yeah. What happened with the show that didn't happen due to the pandemic? The show that didn't happen. So, I mean, hopefully it will still happen. We're trying to kind of, thankfully, there's a bit more grant money floating around. So we're trying to make it happen. Now the big issue is trying to find space because so many spaces have kind of packed up or... Yeah. Um, trying to make it happen, trying to uh, to work it out, looking at some space. So hopefully that can happen uh, around this time next year. That's the that's the goal. Um, be great to put it on on its feet. But uh, meanwhile, um, the Canada Arts Council very kindly gave us a digital grant to uh, to put all the three plays on uh, our radio podcast forum. So right. We've just kind of wrapped up the recording of that, and now we're into the editing process. So hopefully uh, that'll be out in the world this fall. So, I mean, I would love to get the third play on stage. I think then finally I could kind of put this uh, particular new France demon to bed. People are like, are you going to write any more? I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, in like five or six years of this particular obsession, I think it might be time to let it go. But it, yeah, it would be great to, to get it up on stage and, and give it a crack. Now, as somebody who wrote something specifically for audio and who's been adapting it for the stage, going the other way, taking a, a stage play mm -hmm. and a series of stage plays at that and adapting them for audio, mm -hmm. um, what what kind of changes are you finding that you have to make? Is it how what is that process like to take something that was for the stage and, and, and adapting it for audio? Well, the sex scenes are a lot less sexy. Uh, but we don't need we don't need an intimacy coordinator so there's that uh pros and cons i mean yeah there's there's a lot of sex and violence in the show which you have to figure out right you're like oh we're not gonna be able to tell this story visually anymore so sometimes you need to add in words that feel really clunky like you need to name check people in group scenes all the time like right surge man on my left you know you need to you need to be helping the audience because they can't see right and so that's why it's been so helpful for me to engage uh there's three different directors in in the in the audio adaptation one for each play uh aaron brandenburg who worked on the original deceitful tyler sagan who did uh dark heart at the assembly and then keith barker um who's been kind of a consultant the whole way through um, and they were great because some of them had previous experience with the stage virgin versions and some of them had never done that. So they were really coming in and being like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what's happening here. I've, if I just listen to it, I don't know. It's not clear for me. And that was the ultimate goal was to try to just be clear. That was what I was trying to keep in my mind. And it's hard for me because I know these things very intimately by now. So I'm like, of course it makes sense. 
that smooching sound absolutely it's very clear and they were like it's really not so <laughs> you know we had to we had to have those discussions about and the actors were great too they would be like i don't know we'll not talk you know so for me just trying to bear in mind clarity and you know you had to rewrite some stuff i had to rewrite yeah. some stuff i'm like this doesn't work doesn't work it relied on the visual of her right. pulling the knife out at this point so we're gonna have to figure out another way and yeah i just have to be really humble and be like that ah, didn't work the thing so never mind i'll write something better give me a minute um yeah but it was really neat it was really cool and it was it was a nice kind of bookend because i i had never really done radio plays until i moved to the uk where where it is still such a thing and i really enjoyed performing in them and listening to them there and then now it's kind of coming back here with podcasts yes yeah you know and and big companies like stratford's got an at-home channel now where they're gonna stream this kind of stuff and play me and all these you know it's kind of coming back so so again, maybe this is this is kind of you know could be some good that came out of all that, yeah. Her garbage of the pandemic. Uh, I would I would rather have not had the pandemic. That's fine. I don't. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. We are where we are, right? Yes. So, yeah. You can't. It's the things that you can't control. And I remember, um, like like as, as we were, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, the the way that theaters suddenly had to be like, well, things out of our control. Like, how yeah. do we roll with this punch in a way that never really had to happen before like yeah it's wild yeah and it's again very humbling to kind of see like even you know this theater we're like oh you know stratford's got loads of money mervish has all the the money but even they didn't you know and even they were running on really tight margins and yeah you know i think stratford last summer had 20 percent capacity they were occup they were running at or something and they had yeah. shows closed and dream and high park closed because of covid you know all this kind of stuff we are yeah it just it was sort of leveling in that way to realize oh we're all out here just juggling balls and yeah. and the rent collectors at the door behind us you know like it's 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 always been precarious but it, yeah. it's just that we all now realize it right so absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and we keep doing it anyway so that's right reason that's right we're 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 committed to it we are, yeah. we are indeed we are well genevieve thank you so much for for talking with me this evening i really appreciate it Oh, it's been a pleasure, Phil. Thanks so much for having me. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.